Chapters 1 and 2 of Book 9 of History of Animals by Aristotle. Translated by Darcy Wentworth Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 1. Of the animals that are comparatively obscure and short-lived, the characters or dispositions are not so obvious to recognition as are those of animals that are longer-lived. These latter animals appear to have a natural capacity corresponding to each of the passions, to cunning or simplicity, courage or timidity, to good temper or to bad, and to other similar dispositions of mind. Some also are capable of giving or receiving instruction, of receiving it from one another or from man. Those that have the faculty of hearing, for instance, and not to limit the matter to audible sound, such as can differentiate the suggested meanings of word and gesture. In all genera in which the distinction of male and female is found, nature makes a similar differentiation in the mental characteristics of the two sexes. This differentiation is the most obvious in the case of humankind, and in that of the larger animals and the viviparous quadrupeds. In the case of these latter, the female is softer in character, is the sooner tamed, admits more readily of caressing, is more apt in the way of learning, as, for instance, in the Laconian breed of dogs, the female is cleverer than the male. Of the Molossian breed of dogs, such as are employed in the chase are pretty much the same, as those elsewhere, but the sheep-dogs of this breed are superior to the others in size, and in the courage with which they face the attacks of wild animals. Dogs that are born of a mixed breed between these two kinds are remarkable for courage and endurance of hard labor. In all cases, excepting those of the bear and leopard, the female is less spirited than the male. In regard to the two exceptional cases, the superiority in courage rests with the female. With all other animals, the female is softer in disposition than the male, is more mischievous, less simple, more impulsive, and more attentive to the nurture of the young. The male, on the other hand, is more spirited than the female, more savage, more simple, and less cunning. The traces of these differentiated characteristics are more or less visible everywhere, but they are especially visible where character is the more developed, and most of all in man. The fact is, the nature of man is the most rounded off and complete, and consequently in man the qualities or capacities above referred to are found in their perfection. Hence woman is more compassionate than man, more easily moved to tears at the same time is more jealous, more querulous, more apt to scold and to strike. She is furthermore more prone to despondency and less hopeful than the man, more void of shame or self-respect, more false of speech, more deceptive, and of more retentive memory. She is also more wakeful, more shrinking, more difficult to rouse to action, and requires a smaller quantity of nutriment. As was previously stated, the male is more courageous than the female, and more sympathetic in the way of standing by to help. Even in the case of mollusks, 
when the cuttlefish is struck with the trident, the male stands by to help the female. But when the male is struck, the female runs away. There is enmity between such animals as dwell in the same localities or subsist on the same food. If the means of subsistence run short, creatures of like kind will fight together. Thus it is said that seals which inhabit one and the same district will fight, male with male, and female with female, until one combatant kills the other, or one is driven away by the other, and their young do even in like manner. All creatures are at enmity with the carnivores, and the carnivores with all the rest, for they all subsist on living creatures. Soothsayers take notice of cases where animals keep apart from one another, and cases where they congregate together, calling those that live at war with one another dissociates, and those that dwell in peace with one another associates. One may go so far as to say that if there were no lack or stint of food, then those animals that are now afraid of man or are wild by nature would be tame and familiar with him, and in like manner with one another. This is shown by the way animals are treated in Egypt, for, owing to the fact that food is constantly supplied to them, the very fiercest creatures live peaceably together. The fact is, they are tamed by kindness, and in some places crocodiles are tamed to their priestly keeper from being fed by him, and elsewhere also the same phenomenon is to be observed. The eagle and the snake are enemies, for the eagle lives on snakes. So are the ichneumon and the venom spider, for the ichneumon preys upon the latter. In the case of birds there is mutual enmity between the poachilis, the crested lark, the woodpecker, and the creus, for they devour one another's eggs. So also between the crow and the owl for, owing to the fact that the owl is dim-sighted by day, the crow at midday preys upon the owl's eggs, and the owl at night upon the crow's, each having the whip-hand of the other turn and turn about, night and day. There is enmity also between the owl and the wren, for the latter also devours the owl's eggs. In the daytime all other little birds flutter round the owl, a practice which is popularly termed admiring him. Buffet him, and pluck out his feathers. In consequence of this habit, bird-catchers use the owl as a decoy for catching little birds of all kinds. The so-called prespus, or old man, is at war with the weasel and the crow, for they prey on her eggs and her brood. And so the turtle-dove with the paralis, for they live in the same districts and on the same food, and so with the green woodpecker and the libius, and so with the kite and the raven, for, owing to his having the advantage from stronger talons and more rapid flight, the former can steal whatever the latter is holding, so that it is food also that makes enemies of these. In like manner, there is war between birds that get their living from the sea, as between the brenthus, the gull, and the harpy, and so between the buzzard on one side and the toad and snake on the other, for the buzzard preys upon the eggs of the two others, 
and so between the turtle-dove and the chloreus, the chloreus kills the dove, and the crow kills the so-called drummer-bird. The igolius, and birds of prey in general, prey upon the calaris, and consequently there is war between it and them, and so is there war between the gecko-lizard and the spider, for the former preys upon the latter, and so between the woodpecker and the heron, for the former preys upon the eggs and brood of the latter, and so between the aegithus and the ass, owing to the fact that the ass, in passing a furze-bush, rubs its sore and itching parts against the prickles. By so doing, and all the more if it brays, it topples the eggs and the brood out of the nest. The young ones tumble out in fright, and the mother-bird, to avenge this wrong, flies at the beast and pecks at his sore places. The wolf is at war with the ass, the bull and the fox, for as being a carnivore he attacks these other animals, and so for the same reason with the fox and the circus, for the circus, being carnivorous and furnished with crooked talons, attacks and maims the animal. And so the raven is at war with the bull and the ass, for it flies at them and strikes them and pecks at their eyes, and so with the eagle and the heron, for the former, having crooked talons, attacks the latter, and the latter usually succumbs to the attack. And so the merlin with the vulture, and the crex with the eleusowl, the blackbird and the oriole, of this latter bird, by the way, the story goes that he was originally born out of a funeral pyre. The cause of warfare is that the crex injures both them and their young. The nuthatch and the wren are at war with the eagle. The nuthatch breaks the eagle's eggs, so the eagle is at war with it on special grounds, though, as a bird of prey, it carries on a general war all round. The horse and the anthus are enemies, and the horse will drive the bird out of the field where he is grazing. The bird feeds on grass, and sees too dimly to foresee an attack. It mimics the whinnying of the horse, flies at him, and tries to frighten him away. But the horse drives the bird away, and whenever he catches it, he kills it. This bird lives beside rivers or on marsh ground. It has pretty plumage, and finds its food without trouble. The ass is at enmity with the lizard, for the lizard sleeps in his manger, gets into his nostril, and prevents his eating. Of herons there are three kinds, the ash-colored, the white, and the starry heron, or bittern. Of these the first mentioned submits with reluctance to the duties of incubation, or to union of the sexes. In fact, it screams during the union, and it is said drips blood from its eyes. It lays its eggs also in an awkward manner, not unattended with pain. It is at war with certain creatures that do it injury, with the eagle for robbing it, with the fox for worrying it at night, and with the lark for stealing its eggs. The snake is at war with the weasel and the pig, with the weasel when they are both at home, for they live on the same food, with the pig for preying on her kind. The merlin is at war with the fox. It strikes and claws it, and, as it has crooked talons, it kills the animal's young. 
the raven and the fox are good friends, for the raven he is at enmity with the merlin, and so when the merlin assails the fox, the raven comes and helps the animal. The vulture and the merlin are mutual enemies as being both furnished with crooked talons. The vulture fights with the eagle, and so by the way does the swan, and the swan is often victorious. Moreover, of all birds, swans are most prone to the killing of one another. In regard to wild creatures, some sets are at enmity with other sets at all times and under all circumstances. Others, as in the case of man and man, at special times and under incidental circumstances. The ass and the acanthus are enemies, for the bird lives on thistles, and the ass browses on thistles when they are young and tender. The anthus, the acanthus, and the agithus are at enmity with one another. It is said that the blood of the anthus will not intercommingle with the blood of the agithus. The crow and the heron are friends, as also are the sedge-bird and lark, the lydus, and the celius, or green woodpecker. The woodpecker lives on the banks of rivers and beside brakes. The lydus lives on rocks and hills, and is greatly attached to its nesting place. The piffinx, the harpy, and the kite are friends, as are the fox and the snake, for both burrow underground so also are the blackbird and the turtle dove. The lion and the thos or civet are enemies, for both are carnivorous and live on the same food. Elephants fight fiercely with one another and stab one another with their tusks. Of two combatants, the beaten one gets completely cowed and dreads the sound of his conqueror's voice. These animals differ from one another to an extraordinary extent in the way of courage. Indians employ these animals for war purposes, irrespective of sex. The females, however, are less in size and much inferior in point of spirit. An elephant, by pushing with his big tusks, can batter down a wall, and will butt his forehead at a palm until he brings it down, when he stamps on it and lays it in orderly fashion on the ground. Men hunt the elephant in the following way. They mount tame elephants of approved spirit and proceed in quest of wild animals. When they come up with these, they bid the tame brutes to beat the wild ones until they tire the latter completely. Hereupon the driver mounts a wild brute and guides him with the application of his metal prong. After this the creature soon becomes tame and obeys guidance. Now, when the driver is on their back, they are all tractable, but after he has dismounted, some are tame and others vicious. In the case of these latter, they tie their front legs with ropes to keep them quiet. The animal is hunted, whether young or full-grown. Thus we see that in the case of the creatures above mentioned, their mutual friendship or enmity is due to the food they feed on and to the life they lead. 2. Of fishes, such as swim in shoals together are friendly to one another, such as do not so swim are enemies. Some fishes swarm during the spawning season, others after they have spawned. 
to state the matter comprehensively, we may say that the following are shoaling fish, the tunny, the minus, the sea-gudgeon, the bogue, the horse-macro, the corokine, the cynodon or dentex, the red mullet, the spherina, the antheus, the eleginus, the atherin, the sarginus, the garfish, the squid, the rainbow wrasse, the pelamid, the mackerel, the colimackerel. Of these, some not only swim in shoals, but go in pairs inside the shoal. The rest, without exception, swim in pairs, and only swim in shoals at certain periods, that is, as has been said, when they are heavy with spawn, or after they have spawned. The bass and the grey mullet are bitter enemies, but they swarm together at certain times, for at times not only do fishes of the same species swarm together, but also those whose feeding grounds are identical or adjacent if the food supply be abundant. The grey mullet is often found alive with its tail lopped off, and the conger with all that part of its body removed that lies to the rear of the vent. In the case of the mullet, the injury is wrought by the bass, in that of the conger eel by the marina. There is war between the larger and the lesser fishes, for the big fishes prey on the little ones. So much on the subject of marine animals. End of chapter 2